there's an old joke that goes, my wife said if I bring home one more bike, she's going to leave me. Boy, am I going to miss her. Welcome to N Plus One, the show that explores all things bicycle and separating the nonsense from the truth. Brought to you by CycleCraft, the cycling center located in Parsippany, New Jersey. This week, we are exploring the touchy subject of N Plus One. How many bikes do you really need? I'm joined here in our overstuffed bike shed by Kevin Ang, the owner of Many Bicycles himself and keeper of the truth here on N Plus One. So, Kevin, how many bikes do you own right now? Right now, in working condition, I've got six. Uh, I've got two more that are not currently in working shape, so I guess total would be eight. Could I assume that you do not have a spouse currently? Correct. All right. (laughs) I had a feeling. So, hardcore cyclists have two formulas to determine how many bikes to own, N plus one and S minus one. Kevin, why don't you break that down for us? So, N plus one is uh, where N... Uh, stands for the number of bikes you currently own, plus one, and that is the formula for the number of bikes you should have. And then there is S minus one. That is the equation that applies if you have a spouse, uh, where S equals the number of bikes your spouse will tolerate, uh, minus one. Unless you think we're being sexist in any way, we have a lot of women customers here at CycleCraft uh, that have lots and lots of bikes, and their husbands are somewhat intolerant of their number of bikes. So it's a two-way street. So we're not just assuming that the uh, you know goofy men have all the bikes and uh, women are shaking their fingers at them. Oftentimes, it's many. Uh, it's uh, really the other way around. In fact, Karen, who works for us, is probably a good example of that, where she owns too many bikes and her husband doesn't own any, and I don't think he's that happy. <laughs> so, in asking the question, does anyone really need more than one bike? I guess the answer would have to be. That depends. Uh, yeah, so I think that that depends on what types of riding that you do. And I say types because there are many. Um, and there are bikes to suit each one of those tiny little tiny little niches. So uh, I think it would be interesting for just you and I back and forth to uh, maybe list uh, as many of those types of bikes that we can think of. Uh, right, well, I'm going with the easy one first, road, road racing, road performance bikes. Okay, so then since going off road bikes, uh, you can branch off road bikes now into road race bikes, and you can branch off also into road endurance bikes. Uh, and then you can further break those categories down into, so your road race bikes, now you have your you have your lightweight race bikes and you have your aero race bikes. Uh, and then on the endurance side, you have your your endurance road bikes, and now we can also branch into the multi-surface gravel all-road endurance. The bike dreaded as well. gravel the racer. Dreaded, the dreaded <laughs> gravel bike, which we'll we'll get into in a bit more detail later. Um, so that's just a taste of on the pavement side of it. Um, then did we, on, did we mention touring bikes? We did not mention touring bikes. See, there's another one. There's another one. Uh, so then, getting into the off-road side of bikes, you've got you know, you've got your your blanket category of mountain bike. Uh, inside of that, I can think of at least four to five different subtypes of mountain bikes. Brendan, maybe you can list some of those. So, well, we started off in the in the old days with just XC or cross country bikes, and then there were downhill bikes, and then there were uh, they had a baby and got together and they and they invented uh, uh, trail bikes, and then they became enduro bikes. Uh, and and there's probably a couple of other slivers in there in between. And I would like to also point out, by the way, that the uh, there's a, a lower-end category of bike that most cyclists don't ever think of called the comfort bike. 
And the comfort bike is actually born out of mountain bikes. And they started coming around like in the late 90s. They realized that 90% of the people that were buying a cross-country mountain bike were putting a big fat seat on it and smooth tires and an upright stem and handlebar combo to actually create a a comfort bike. And it only took the bike industry 15 years to figure out that that was the bike that a lot of people wanted. So so that's another little subcategory there, the comfort bike. And that's uh, also the type of bike I think a lot of either non-cyclists or beginner cyclists come into the shop and that's the bike they think of when they say, I'm looking for a regular bike. I, I want a regular bike. Well, some of us old guys, when you say regular bike, they're talking about the Raleigh uh, English Racer 3-speed with the Randon Hour style handlebar on it. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. Um, so yeah, so there's, you know, so there's all these categories that sort of branch off of each other. And then even, you know, going back to mountain bikes, there's even you know, two different types of, you know, cross country race bikes. You've got your, you know, hardtails and you have full suspension. And then you've got, you know, bikes with slightly different hand angles that are designed for slightly more technical terrain versus bikes that are designed for less technical terrain. So it's all, all under the blanket of cross country. So there's, there's many different subcategories. And I think what we're getting at is we can go really crazy and N plus one can, can really drive your drive your garage to full capacity if you really let it take control of your life. So maybe we're advocating I need I need thirty bikes. I, I feel like I've, we've named about thirty different types of bikes already. It feels like that, yeah. Uh, and there was one you haven't mentioned yet: uh, cyclocross racing. I don't think we covered that one yet, did we? And uh, we did not mention that. That's I guess that's sort of a category in between off road and on road. Um, being a a a cross racer myself, I know there are, there's also some divisions within that as well, uh, as far as, you know, geometry and what types of courses they're designed for. So there's, there's many, so many, so many so, so the different funny th- bikes. Well, uh, funny thing about cyclocross bikes is that you realize that cyclocross racing was really, you know, it, it started as a European pro cyclist, something to do in the winter time when they need, you know, they wanted cross training and, you know, they weren't going to be out riding their race bikes. So right. they would basically have a, you know, a, a traditional road racing geometry bike and they put as fat a tire as they could get onto it uh, or possibly even use almost a touring bike with a with a cantilever brake set on it. And, and they were and they were heinous. I mean, you know, trying to ride in the mud and the snow on that bike was a nightmare. Right. And then that that's sort of spurred this. I mean, an entire discipline all in of itself that, you know, now you have, you know, professionals who race only cyclocross. That's their only thing. They do not race road. They do not race mountain bike. Some of them do both, but it's, it's its own discipline. And again, it's in, as a, as a discipline, it's also spawned its own type of bike, which I think is interesting. The other, uh, I'm going to blow your mind here a sec, because another thing we haven't even considered, and and there will be a lot of cyclists that say they shouldn't even be uh, incorporated as e-bikes, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which are, are super fun. Uh, if you've ever ridden an e-bike, it'll put a big stupid smile on your face, and, and, I, and I do envision myself at some point in my life owning an e-bike, uh, but I know that, you know, one of the, the, the problems with the, the bike world and the bike industry is that... Anytime they seize on something that's pretty cool and fun, they ruin it by incorporating it into racing. And what really sort of made me scratch my head and I was kind of irritated by it is the UCI has created an e-bike mountain biking racing classification. And I'm and I'm scratching I'm going like, okay, so you know, like like we're racing electric mountain bikes now seems kind of dumb. I mean, I, I get it. I, I'm all for an electric mountain bike, but, I, you know, why, why do we have to ruin everything with racing? 
true and that's and again that that could spur on yet another category of bike your electric race bike and that's that could that could potentially you know birth another another yet another complication to this whole so i'm gonna have to uh, i'm gonna have to have an electric gravel race bike and then my electric gravel wow my my head is starting to hurt kevin (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's yeah so i guess the short answer is N plus one can can really can really ruin your life if you're not careful, <laughs> <laughs> or or at least ruin your marriage, yeah, uh, or make you go bankrupt. Uh, and and you know you can always see the hardcore cyclists out there. You know their their bike on top of their car is worth more than the car they're driving. I'm I'm a I'm a definitely a victim of that for sure. So I, I you know the a bicycle as an object to use is one thing, you know, we have all these different classifications of bikes and you, and you could make an argument for, well, you know, like a carpenter might have four different types of hammers. You know, there's a, a, a hammer to frame a house and then there's a hammer to put together a, a picture frame and they're not the same hammer. You know, you, you need all of those. If you're, if you're framing houses and you're framing pictures, you would need both of those kinds of hammers. Uh, I guess we can make an argument for that. Uh, if you are participating in all of those different disciplines, you uh, you can justify your n plus one habit. Sure, and I would I would I would be again as using myself an example. I have a a bike that I race cyclocross on, and I have a bike. I have a the dreaded gravel bike. I would never think of using my gravel bike to race cyclocross because it's not really great for that. It's not really well suited to that type of riding. Um, but again, I I feel like I. For some reason, I feel like I need both of those, even though in most cases I could probably use – I could probably pick one to do both. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not racing in the pro category, and, and you're right. not, not going to lose a race by four seconds because right. you're on the wrong bike. Right. Um, so and while well, I justified my quote-unquote gravel bike, and I don't call my bike a gravel bike. My, my other bike is – I call it my adventure commuter. Uh, and I came upon that by saying, well, I, I wanted a, a bike that I would use for, you know, inclement days or crappy and, and a bike that was a uh, uh, able to handle a wider tire. And sometimes, uh, you know, Kat and I go and, and do, you know, we do gravel rides uh, or rail trail rides and things like that. It's a practical bike for that. But it's built on a cyclocross frame that had a geometry that was a little more suitable for that. So I have for racing, I have a giant TCX, which is a phenomenal racing bike for around here. I mean, it's, it's one of the nicest riding. Well, I'll put it this way. We're going to get into, uh, if you have to whittle down to, to one bike, I'm going to put a gun to your head. And I'm going to say, you're allowed to keep one bike. Which one would it be? I would almost go with my giant TCX because I could use it as a road bike very comfortably, but it's a phenomenal cross racing bike. And then my adventure commuter bike is a Von Hoff ACX. It's a uh, chromoly uh, steel frame that has cross geometry, but it's a little bit longer wheelbase. So it's not exactly the same handling bike as the TCX by any stretch of the imagination. True. Uh, so yeah, I guess if for me, if I had to pick one bike, I guess I would say my Sand Cruz Stigmata sort of in the same vein as you, because I can race cross on it. I could use it as a race bike if I switch up the gearing a little bit. Um, I could put a different tire on it and that would, that could easily be a road bike. That's certainly suitable of being a very lightweight, high performing bike. Uh, and I don't think it would be terrible riding on the road. Um, but again, I, I guess I still have a hard time imagining that being my only bike because I do, 
love all my other bikes for different reasons. Yeah, it's because you got a problem. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think we, we both have, or anyone who's in the cycling world has a problem based on this whole equation. And this that's... Is, well, and this is how I wound up in the bike business because I, w- I was obsessed. And, and the thing is, it's not just, you know, kind of where I was going with that before is that, you know, not, bikes aren't just functional for what they're intended for. But they're beautiful. They're pretty. You know, mm-hmm. you you can even even some old bikes. I mean, I look at some of the old bikes that roll in the door. And I'm like, wow, that thing is cool. You mm-hmm. know, like I can imagine myself riding, you know, so many different bikes. Uh, you know, the paint is pretty, or the parts are shiny, or uh, you know, or, or there's nothing like uh, when I was a, a little kid. I used to dream about uh, bright stainless steel spokes on a new wheel you know mm-hmm. the the stainless steel spoke glistening in the sun as the wheel would go around you could see the sun glistening off it i mean it's just for you know for me that's visual poetry i absolutely am enthralled by that and i would agree with that too i mean the the reason why i bought my my all city cosmic stallion was because the the black and gold uh livery on it is based on the a an old uh formula one car livery i'm also a huge motorsports fan so that that sort of connection really resonated with me and uh i did happen to know the guy who was uh the product manager there and when he told me that and he showed me the picture of it i saw it and i had to have it and it was you know it was it was really purely that and and that that connection to something that resonates with me sort of contained in a in a bicycle was attractive to me and i and i had to have it so now there's two separate channels we have now for n plus one number one is how many different types of cycling might you be participating in and number two bikes are pretty and nice to own right so another question that uh, then we have to ask ourselves is how nice of a particular type of bike do you need? And what I mean by that is that if you look at, I'll just take one, you know, one example, let's say it's the road endurance category. And those are bikes that grew out of the road racing category, uh, but were bikes that were a little bit longer wheelbase, a little, a little easier to, to maintain a uh, seating position for a rider who maybe wasn't, you know, a super flexible pro racer. So if you look at the, you know, the array of bikes just in that one category, I mean, there, there's, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of choices. So if you're going to compare a giant Defy, uh, you know, advanced one, let's say, that's a carbon frame with uh, Ultegra components on it. And if you're going to match that up against, uh, you know, a Parley Altum with, uh, you know, an Envy wheel set. Which and, costs twice to three times as much. Right. So, you know, do we really need to have a bike that costs three times as much? I mean, are we just throwing money away? That's an interesting question because at the end of the day, you have to think about how much does the increase in cost improve improve the ride experience. And I think what we're looking at is we're looking at um, diminishing returns on that. I mean, you're of course a difference. I think the difference between a an eight hundred dollar bike and a two thousand dollar bike are pretty clear uh when you ride those bikes side by side you're going to notice a pretty big difference but to me the difference between a two thousand dollar bike and a thirty five hundred dollar bike which dollar wise is the same ratio or about the same ratio as a eight hundred to two thousand but i don't think most enthusiast cyclists will notice a huge difference if you were to you know paint both bikes black and and cover over all the logos i don't know that they would pick out huge differences that they would say, oh, yeah, I need to spend that that extra $1,000. That's an experiment. We should try that sometime just to see if we can get uh, anybody to 
to be able to pick out a bike because I think I could. I, I I believe that that I've ridden enough bikes and enough miles where, uh, you know, if you gave me three different bikes that were essentially made for the same uh, purpose, that right. I would be able to ride all three and pick out the one number one that I liked the best, and or I would be able to pick out the one that cost the most money, even That's if it, even if it had the same component group on it, just based right. on the frame set, okay. which one would be more? Okay, interesting. We should we should try that. Is that a ch- challenge accepted? Challenge accepted. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's that's sort of my thought. Is there's that there's that princess and the pea argument? I guess is like can can you really feel those minor minor you know differences that of course the manufacturers are going to drum up in their marketing? You know, like is the is the you know the the specialized you know ride damping mechanism that they use is that any better or worse than? the one that Cannondale has, I mean, for, or that giant has, is it, is the, the end result that much different that you should buy one over the other. And I think that's, to me, I don't know that that's, I don't know that the difference is big enough for most people to really notice it. Hmm. That's a bold statement. You pretty much just kicked the bike industry right in the behind. (laughs) Maybe I did. And, but I think that's, I think that's something that, that is worthy of some empirical testing perhaps. Sometimes it does seem to get a little ridiculous. You, you're uh, before you were reading uh, to me uh, an article about gravel bikes. I'm just going to make a quick left turn here, and just to kind of see how ridiculous it is uh, while you while you search out some of those quotes. You know, remembering that that mountain bikes sprung you know up around uh, you know sometime in, I guess eighty four, eighty five, something like that, where the first mountain bikes really started to appear. Uh, uh, publicly and specialized was probably the first like major commercial mountain right. bike that was out there. Right. And so there's an article on posted on bike radar. Uh, it was from uh, earlier this year in March. Um, so the article is called uh, gravel bikes, uh, roadie revenge on mountain bike progress. Uh, and the basic gist of the article is that um Gravel bikes are not anything new. Uh, their whole argument is that gravel bikes are sort of the basically a a a, a turn into the past of old school eighties to nineties mountain bikes that were notoriously sketchy and unstable and not really well suited to the purpose they were designed for. For a mountain bike. For a mountain bike at yeah. the time. Um and gravel bikes are basically just rewinding the clock or gravel bikes are basically just rewinding the clock back to that bike. And they're just putting drop bars on it and, and are, and again, are a, an ill-suited bike to their purpose uh, and not anything progressive or new. And I think the the best quote or passage I have from it is, is this, it says a gravel bike is a road bike, but heavier and with slower tires it's narrow and steep and tall, and you can't shift your weight much, so it teaches you ancient, authentic skills such as desperately trying not to crash and how to still crash and acting superior even now that you've crashed. <laughs> it's just like a mountain bike used to be before it was ruined by marketing and BS and quantifiable progress and by, you know, physics. So I think that's, I think that's funny that, that, you know, that's an interesting commentary on the the segmentation, I guess, of, of the bikes in the industry now is that are we really reaching into the future and, and creating new things or are we really just rehashing old concepts into an, into a new skin and calling them something new? 
Um, and I guess another example of that uh, is the 27 and a half inch wheel size or wheel standard um, that rim size or wheel standard has existed since the eighties, since even before mountain bikes, I think. Um, well, I think it's existed even longer than the eighties. I mean, right. it's, it's a tire, it's a wheel size that was used on, on trekking bikes, uh, you know, even before that probably go 60s, 70s. I got to figure that that 650 B was the size that's been around. We should probably do a little research on that and find out when, when did the 650 B wheel first appear on the scene? Right. So again, it's, it's not, and then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, three, what was it, about three years ago when, when 27 and a half inch mountain bikes were like, Oh, look at this new wheel size. And, you know, it turns out that it's not new at all. It's been around for decades and it's really just the industry perhaps reaching, reaching back into the, into the back wall, so to speak, and grabbing something off and, you know, dusting it off and calling it something else. Um, you know, and even, even 27 five as a response to 29 inch wheels, which in and of themselves are just road wheels. Essentially. Well, and, and, and sometimes maybe the, you know, the, the channel is a little wider, like the actual rim section itself is a little wider to accept a little bit uh, wider tire. Right. But, but from a rim diameter perspective, they are exactly the same. same. So it's, again, it's just this, you know, you have to, you have to wonder where is the innovation coming from? I think, well, and, and innovation maybe just being incrementally changing the recipe around a little bit. This is a concept we've probably talked about before is that, you know, every bicycle is, uh, I, I think of it as cake. It's, you know, it's the same basic ingredients. It's flour, sugar, butter, you know, maybe some vanilla, maybe some chocolate. There's some different things in there. But every cake recipe, the way that you combine the ingredients changes the way the flavor of the cake. And and taking it a, a, a little step further than that, saying, um, you know, I've got a, I've got a, a, a bike geometry recipe that does certain things well, but not other things. And the Holy grail for every bike that comes out. So in road bikes, there's always the, you know, I guess if you made a Venn diagram, it's always going to be, uh, you know, handling to weight, to durability, to cost. And you can mix any, any of those four competing requirements, but you can never come up with the perfect bike, you know, bikes that are, you know, you can make it super light, but it's going to be super expensive, or you can make it, you know, handle, uh, you know, the front end of the bike will have, you know, a sports car, you know, diving into corners, uh, uh, snappiness on the front end, but it might be too twitchy for some other application. So there's always a compromise in the design. And I think maybe that's part of it is that, uh, you know, somebody uh, took a cyclocross bike, and they started, you know, they wanted to do this long distance gravel riding and it was sort of not perfectly suited to that process or that, that, that use. And so they, you know, they said, well, okay, well, what would make it better for that? And say, well, let's lengthen out the chain stay a little bit and let's slack out the hang a little bit in the front center distance. And these are small geometry changes that lent themselves to being better at that. And then lo and behold, oh, look, it matches those geometries from mountain bikes in the 80s and i don't know if that's a coincidence or somebody really i don't think anybody really went back and you know they they grabbed their old miata mountain bike off of the wall and said hey you know this would make a great gravel bike you know i just don't see it happening that way i, I could see that yeah I, I i guess i could i could go with that argument that um you know maybe these things have existed before but no one really thought of it back then as as an application for what it's used for now and it just like you said coincident just happened to be very similar um but certainly i could i could i could see that yeah 
So then I, I think the N plus one, uh, I'm, I'm going to come down on the side of, yes, N plus one makes sense. And here's why. I like different kinds of cake. I don't only eat one dessert, right? So, I mean, I may want to have a different dessert and different uh, after different meals, or I might be in the mood for ice cream instead of chocolate mousse or whatever. And the same thing with the bike. It's like sometimes I've got a, I've got a, a hankering to get out on, on a road racing performance bike. And even though I don't road race, I just love that experience of being able to get down and motor and go really fast and fly up hills. And then other times I wouldn't go out and just kind of noodle, noodling around on a rail trail, for example. I could never do that on my Parley, uh, you know, Z0 with, you know, super lightweight climbing wheels. I mean, I could probably do it, but it wouldn't be that much fun. So I'm going to say that that depending on the different types of riding that you might enjoy, I'm saying N plus one is the is the right formula. I would I would agree with that. I I think N plus one. I mean, me you know owning as many bikes as I do, I I clearly can't come down against it. Uh, that would be somewhat hypocritical of me. Uh, however, I think there's a limit to how much you can dice up what is essentially a singular experience, uh, or not. I wouldn't say singular, but there's a for each individual person, there's a limited range of cycling experience that they feel that they want to have. Uh, for me, for example, I don't own a mountain bike. I, I just don't. Maybe one day I will, but at this point I, I don't and I don't really have any interest in that. Um, however, there's a certain range of cycling experiences that I want. And I want to have a bike that will be capable in the range of experiences that I want. Um, But that doesn't mean when a new pretty one comes along, you don't want to have that. No, and I'm definitely a victim of that. Um, However, I think it's important for cyclists of all types to be realistic about what cycling experiences they want to have. And I guess be practical about what types of bikes are going to be suited suitable for those that range of experiences you want for example i don't own a endurance what you would call an endurance road bike because that's not what i want that's not a cycling experience that i am seeking out i mean yes it would be cool for me to just have one but i it's not the type of ride experience that i want so i i don't feel any desire to own one i guess you could say the same thing for me with mountain bikes i at the moment, I just don't have any desire to want to participate in that. And I won't just buy one just to have it. All right. Well, so, but we won't think any worse of you for not wanting to ride a mountain bike. Sure. And maybe that'll change. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I, I can, I certainly could see myself, you know, getting super nerdy about it because I do tend to do that. But yeah, yeah, so um, I've noticed that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, I think it's, it's important for, for cyclists to be realistic about the range of experiences that they want and the tools that are going to be able to get them to those experiences. So how do we get them to, to not, not believe the hype as uh, Flavo Flav used to say? Uh, I think it's for one is familiarity and, and it's experience. So I think getting, being able to ride those bikes and see if you like them or not is certainly one thing. Um, there's some debate, I think in the, in the bike retail side of things as what, what a test ride can really do for you and what you can learn on it. But I think that from a certain extent, you do need to test ride these bikes and see maybe if they will fill that, you know, check that box off for you. 
Um, but again, also there's a lot of marketing hype out there and so much of bicycles are very technical. There's a lot of, a lot of, I guess, jargon out there that maybe a lot of people who aren't in sort of deep in the world don't really get and can maybe be sucked into the marketing jargon and, and maybe aren't necessarily seeing what is or isn't behind that jargon. And I think that's important as well. There is an awful lot of BS out uh, out there. I, nothing is coming to mind, but I, I'm trying to remember all of the acronyms for all the, you know, all the, the, the stupid acronyms or, or initials that bike companies will put on bikes that mean almost nothing. <laughs> you Correct. Know, and they're, but they're, they're, you know, they're trying to impress you with, you know, one particular system or another on their bike. Uh, and I, I think that, uh, you know, there's a, a danger in the industry overhyping, you know, some of the stuff that they do. It does get a little ridiculous sometimes. Right. And um, as an example of maybe a, a sort of tongue in cheek application of that, um, you know, Surly Fat Bikes, for example, they have a thing called FFF, which really just means fatties fit fine. It's really just tire clearance. It's all it is, is that this bike can fit fat tires, but sort of tongue in cheek as Surly does, they made it into an acronym and put it on the bikes. So it's it's I think that's a that's a fun example of that sort of uh, that sort of thing. Well, and those guys definitely don't take themselves too too seriously. <laughs> right. I mean, they, and, they they definitely have a uh, uh, an ethos of you know like it's bikes, guys. Like don't right. be so goofy about it. Right. So I guess uh, we'll come down on the side of it's okay to own lots and lots of bikes, but don't just run out and buy bikes because Bicycling Magazine said, hey, this is the best bike that's come along since whenever, and uh, it's not its not necessary to always own that bike. Um, and, and I will say that one of the things that, I, that I've always tried to do in our business here is to not push bikes on people that don't make sense for them. Unless they, you know, if someone's going to throw money at me, I will sell them whatever they want, but we're here to advise, and, and we often uh, find ourselves – talking people out of a particular thing uh, because they got an idea in their mind because their friend told them this or they read that or they saw the picture of it. And not that I want to take someone's joy away, but once we go through the choices, we usually wind up getting them connected with something that really does fit in more with what they were hoping for. Right. And and perhaps we're a bit biased in this, but um, local bike shops, that's what we're here for. Uh, I guess the good ones, at least we are here to, help you translate that jargon into an experience that you're going to want. So maybe the, I'll, I'll be honest, the internet, not great at that. Um, there's not, there's too much information that isn't necessarily tailored to what you want. And it's a lot to sort through if you don't know what you're looking at. And uh, again, not, again, not to toot our own horns here, but you know, local bike shops or at least, you know, the, the good ones out there, that's what we're here for is we're here to tailor your experience and help you find the bike that's going to make you happy uh, and help you translate those jar that jargon because that's what we're here for. Well, Kevin, I guess we sliced and diced that about as finely as we possibly could in a short amount of time. Uh, and I realized the time went by pretty quick, but I could talk about this stuff all night long, and I'm guessing that you probably could too. Uh, so, but we're not going to do that. that we'll, we'll give you all a break on that. Uh, that will uh, be concluding our uh, episode for this week. Next week, uh, episode four is going to be a let's talk about mountain bikes. And we're going to take this uh, discussion a little bit deeper into specific types of bikes. So mountain bikes, uh, as we had discussed earlier, are kind of hard to separate out. There's so many different genres right now and so many different ways of looking at bikes. Um, so we are going to get into that next week. 
on uh, N Plus One, The Truth About Bicycles, and we will include an interview with famous mountain biker Jeff Lenoski, who I have known since 1994, I want to say, and he's a professional uh, mountain biker. Uh, he does trials and he does free riding, uh, and he is also a giant brand ambassador uh, as well, and that should be an interesting uh, discussion with Jeff. And a really cool guy, by the way. And a really cool guy. Uh, so, our episode today was brought to you by Cyclecraft Cycling Center, located on Route 46 in Parsippany. Our website is www.cyclecraft.com. And Kevin, why don't you tell us about where we can get in touch with more podcasts? Uh, you can find our uh, podcast at uh, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find uh, you get your podcast from. Fantastic. And that will conclude our episode, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. And if you have any questions you'd like us to explore, if you want to uh, email us and talk to us about your bikes, uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, so you can get in touch with us at uh, n plus one at cyclecraft.com. That's N-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at cyclecraft.com. You can connect with us on Twitter at n plus one. And the number one, that's N-P-L-U-S-O-N-E and the number one. And also on Facebook at N plus another, that's N-P-L-U-S-A-N-O-T-H-E-R. Uh, and that's, uh, we would love to hear from you about your, your bicycle addiction. That does it for us. We'll see you next time on N plus one, the truth about bicycles. Bicycles.